Amen. All right, how you guys doing? Okay, so we're going to jump right into this. This is part three of our series, Take the Nations. How many of you guys have been joining this, enjoying this? Anybody? Should I just stop? All right, good deal. Wake up, get some coffee, some coffee over there if you need to move around some more. <laughs> um, all right, so if you want, you can, well, last week we looked at Daniel chapter 2, and so we're going to um, kind of, we're going to look at Daniel 7, some things in Daniel 7, and um, the title or the, what we're going for today is glory, dominion, and a kingdom, the promise of what the Ancient of Days has uh, promised to Jesus on behalf of the saints, glory, dominion, and a kingdom. So, um, book, the book of Daniel is, is an epic, it's a, really an epic book. Um, and it's, it can be divided, it has 12 chapters, and you can divide it straight down the middle. Daniel, the first half of Daniel can be, is, is uh, the amazing accounts of Daniel and his companions in Babylon. It's the kings they serve, the dreams Daniel interpreted, the perils they endured, the fires they came through, the mouths of the lions that were shut. And when we get into Daniel 7, we see a second half of the book. The second half of the book, it contains visions that were given specifically to and directly to Daniel. The first half of the book is stories. It's Daniel interpreting visions. And the second half, half of the book is Daniel receiving visions from the Lord himself. And last week, we looked at Daniel chapter 2. And this chapter is really, when we um, fast forward, we look at Daniel chapter 7. Daniel 7 and Daniel 2 are really par uh, they're parallels to one another. In Daniel 2, we see King Nebuchadnezzar. He has a mysterious dream. And Daniel offers him the interpretation. In Daniel 7, Daniel's the one having a strange dream. And he actually inquires of an angel in helping him to interpret it. And what we see in the dream, in, in the vision given to Daniel, is that it parallels the vision that was given to Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 2. Both Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar, they see four beasts representing four kingdoms. The same sequence of empires that Nebuchadnezzar had seen in his dream is shown to Daniel. And Nebuchadnezzar, what he sees is he's, he sees a, a great and impressive statue, an image made of valuable metals. Perhaps what these empires might appear like to the human eye. Great and impressive. But Daniel, he saw a great, a great sea being stirred and out of it coming dangerous beasts that ruthlessly devour peoples and nations. The truth of what Daniel's seeing is he's seeing these empires perhaps from God's perspective for what they really are. Ferocious beasts that attack and seek to devour one another. But each of these beasts, it describes four successive empires. And we looked at this last week. The first one in, in Daniel 7 is a lion with the wings of an eagle representing Babylon. The bear with three ribs in its mouth representing the Medes and the Persians who defeated Babylon. The ribs possibly for the three nations that they conquered. Lydia, Egypt, and Babylon. The, the third beast is a leopard with four wings. Represent, representing Alexander the Great in the swift conquests of his army, resulting in an incredible expansion of the kingdom of Greece. Identify with the number four and the four heads and the four horns, Alexander's untimely death in 323 left him without a successor, and his kingdom is divided into four parts, assigned to four leaders. And finally, the, the Dreadful and terrible beasts representing the Roman Empire, as strong and as enduring as iron and as unrelenting as a beast. And as we know, the Roman army swept across the ancient world, defeating one nation after another until Rome was a vast empire. But the message of both of these visions and dreams, um, it carries this prevailing theme, is that God sits on his throne above human kings and kingdoms. Furthermore, that God is establishing a kingdom on the earth that will triumph. And out of the fourth beast, we see ten horns. Ten horns representing ten kings that come forth. 
And from this, these ten horns, we see a little horn appearing like a man boasting of great things. So this little horn, most scholars all agree on the first, the first four beasts and the, the interpretation of the success of kingdoms. The little horn is, on the other case, widely debated. And it drives some crazy to, to try and go through this and figure it out. And you go on YouTube, you look this up, and you find teacher after teacher, and they all got their charts and timelines. This means this. Um, some of them show you this means the Soviet Union. This one refers to Pakistan. This is a future federation of nations. And you're just trying to figure it all out, you're trying to figure out who to believe, right? And it gets really crazy and wild, and it's just your mind just spins, right? Um, what's clear, one thing I want to point out is what's clear is that these kingdoms, in the broader view, what they're representing is Satan's kingdom being ushered in through human, the human agency of a fallen man. And in the New Testament, in Ephesians, we, we learn that this, this is a cosmic battle between light and darkness. And it's taking place between powers and principalities. But it, it, essentially, it means this. Um, the greater understanding of the ferocious beast in the little horn is to see it in the light of spiritual warfare lens. Satan is withstanding the people of God. He's overpowering them with dominion and authority, the dominion and authority that he was given in the garden. And Daniel, in Daniel 7, too, he's seeing this dangerous storm brewing on the sea of the nations. And out of it, demons manifest earthly empires. And these beasts are satanic forms of demonic government, governance. And so what I want us to see today and focus in on is not the views or theories revolving some of the images, but I want us to focus on this point, the central point, which is the, the, the central characters, the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man. The Ancient of Days renders judgment on behalf of the saints. In the Son of Man's appearance, before the Ancient of Days, before the Father, the Timeless One, and, all, and he's being, and being delivered into the Son of, Man hand, Son of Man's hands is all nations and everlasting dominion that will never fade away, pass away, is being delivered into his hands. Knowing when the Ancient of Days passes judgment in favor of the saints, it gives us a glimpse into this important, this important revelation. And that's something uh, I presented last week. Is it gives a glimpse into understanding exactly this. When is the age of the kingdom? When does the age of the kingdom begin? To understand that, we have to go back and we have to look and study Daniel 2, which we did last week. We have to look and understand Daniel 7. We have to understand the figure and the meaning of the Son of, the Son of Man. So, in Daniel, in Daniel 7... Verse 1, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions appeared in his mind as he lay on his bed. Then he wrote the dream down and related a summary of it. Daniel said, I saw in my vision by night, behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea of the nations. Four great beasts, each different from the other, other were coming out of the sea in succession. This is the Amplified Bible, just in case you're wondering. Uh, the first, and in the Amplified Bible, it actually gives you in parentheses the empires that they represent. And the first, the Babylonian Empire under Nebuchadnezzar was like a lion and had the wings of an eagle. I kept looking until its wings were plucked, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. A human mind was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one, the Medo-Persian Empire was like a bear, and it was raised up on one side, and three ribs were in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise and devour much meat. After this, I kept looking, and behold, another one, the Greek Empire of Alexander the Great, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings like those of a bird. The beast already had four heads. Alexander's generals, his successors, and power to rule was given to it. After this, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, I saw a fourth beast, the Roman Empire, terrible and extremely strong. It had huge iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and trampled down what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that came before it, and it had ten horns, ten kings. While I was considering the horns, behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, and three of the first horns were pulled up by its roots before it. And behold, in this horn were the eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth boasting of great things. 
Verse 9, I kept looking until thrones were set up. In the ancient of days, God took his seat. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was pure like wool. His throne was flames of fire. Its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. A thousand thousands were attending him. Ten thousand times ten thousand were standing before him. The court was seated. The books were open. Then I kept looking because of the sound of the great boastful words which the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to be burned with the fire. As for the rest of beasts, their power, this is a key verse here, their power was taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for the length of their lives fixed for a predetermined time. So what we're seeing here in uh, verse 9 and forward is we're looking into that inner sanctum of heaven where the heavenly hosts surrounding the timeless one, the ancient of days, in glory. We're seeing into this sanctum of heaven and this scene. What does it remind you of? In Revelation, in Revelation 1, it reminds you of what we view in John the Revelator's vision. But the being, the being in this refulgence of glory, it shifts in Revelation 1 from the ancient of days, or God the Father, to the Son of Man. And in Acts 9, what we see is, is Jesus, he's taken up unto the clouds of glory in heaven. And, and through John's vision, he sees this same visible description that Daniel uses to describe the Son of Man. Verse 12, I just want you to look at this again. As for the rest of the beasts, their power was taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a predetermined time. So I want you to see these beasts. They're stripped of power, but their life is extended. Okay, verse, let's, let's move on. Verse 13. I kept looking in night visions, and behold, on the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him, the Messiah, was given dominion, supreme authority, glory, and a kingdom. That all peoples, nations, and speakers of every language should serve and worship him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. His kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Okay, so... Verse 13 and 14, what do we see? Dominion, glory, and a kingdom. A triumphant kingdom. So the question is when? When does this happen? Let's uh, go to next verse, 18. Sorry. <laughs> uh, 15. Okay. As for me, Daniel, my spirit was distressed distress and anxious within me. The visions that appeared in my mind kept alarming and agitating me. I approached one of those that stood by me, and I began to ask him the exact meaning of all this. So he, so he told me and explained to me the interpretation of these things. These four great beasts are four kings that will arise from the earth. But the saints, believers of the Most High God, will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever for all ages to come. Then I wished to know the exact meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, extremely dreadful, with teeth of iron and claws of brine, which devoured, crushed, and trampled down what was left with its feet, and the meaning of the ten horns, kings, that were on its head, and the other horn, which came up later, and before which three of the horns fell, specifically the horn, which had eyes and a mouth that boasted great things, which looked, looked larger than the others." Verse 21, as I kept looking, the horn was making war with the saints, believers, and overpowering them. Verse 22, until, everybody say until. Until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the Most High God. And the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom. Okay, this word until, there's a lot to be said about this word. This word until is like the Jordan River, like the Israelites before the Jordan River and after the Jordan River in Canaan, the promised land. This, this word until is like the cross of Jesus Christ. 
Before the cross, Satan possessed rule, authority, power. We were slaves to sin. We were condemned by the law. Before the Jordan River, we were in the wilderness. After the Jordan River, we're crossing over. We're moving and taking possession of the land, occupying, conquering. After the cross, Satan's power is abolished. I'm justified by the blood. I'm set free from the power of sin. Before the until, verse 21, what's happening? The horn is, is waging a war against the saints, and it's winning. It's overpowering them. After the until, verse 22, what's happening? The saints are taking possession of the kingdom. Dominion, glory, and a kingdom. Again, the question is, when does this happen? Let's keep reading. Thus the angel said, the fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the earth and tread it down and crush it. As for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings will arise and another will arise after them and he will be different from the former and he will subdue three kings. He will speak words against the most high and wear down the saints of the most high and intend to change the times and law and they will be given into his hand for a time, two times and half a time or three and a half years. Verse 26, but the court of the Most High will sit in judgment. Everyone say, in judgment. And his dominion will be taken away. First to be consumed gradually and then to be destroyed forever. Okay, I want you to see this in verse 26. You can circle this. But notice it doesn't say that he will be destroyed, the beast, but his dominion will be destroyed. Go back to verse 12. What do we see? As for the rest of their beasts, their power was taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a predetermined time. Dominion taken away, an extension of life given. In other words, God's saying, you have no more power, but you have to live on the same planet. Your, your life is extended, but your power is taken from you. As if to say... Before, as if to say to Satan, before I throw you into the lake of fire, the final consummation, judgment, your first punishment is going to be placed in the midst of those that you tormented. In that, I'm going to strip you of your power, but I'm going to leave you and give you an extension of life. Perhaps this is a fulfillment of the word given in the garden, the first gospel presented, he shall bruise your head and you shall crush his, he shall bruise your heel and he shall crush thy head. Let's look at verse 27. Then the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions will serve and obey him. The question again, when? When does this happen? How do we know when this is supposed to happen? Well, if we go back to verse 22, there's two things we see. The Ancient of Days comes, and he passes judgment in favor of the saints. Number two, the time arrives for the saints to take possession of the kingdom. When that happens, we know this is the result. Sovereignty, dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the saints of the Most High. Okay, so there's three things I, wanna, I want you to pull out of this. There's three things, and I'm going to lay, try and lay down this foundation. But number one is we have to understand this title, the Son of Man. Through a study of this title, the Son of Man, and what was to understood in Juda Ju Judaism is that we see this figure is a heavenly being that comes to the earth, and what happens is that he appears before God the Father, who is called the Ancient of Days. This Son of Man title is used in Ezekiel, Daniel, and Revelation, but this title is not a, a humble title. This title is a, is a powerful designation of Christ as supreme judge, as the, ju the bringer of judgment. And in Daniel 7, Ezekiel and Revelation, what we see is that the Ancient of Days, God the Father, he's calling upon the Son of Man, and he's calling him as supreme judge. This, this term, the Son of Man, is Jesus' favorite self-designation. 
In fact, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, each time the title Son of Man is used, it's spoken by Jesus himself. But note, note this, is that he's not, Jesus is not making a humble statement. He is, when he's speaking this, he's, he's linking himself back to Daniel's vision. He's associating himself with the cloud rider of Daniel's dream. The cloud rider. The cloud rider is inheriting. What is he inheriting, Daniel? Authority, glory, power, peoples, nations, and men, the earth and its inhabitants. So in Mark 2, Jesus used this title. He's in trouble with the Pharisees, declaring people's sins to be forgiven. And they, they are upset with Jesus because only God can forgive sins. But this is what he says. I do these things so that you might know the Son of Man, everyone say, the Son of Man has authority on the earth to forgive sin. Okay, so here Jesus designates himself as the Son of Man. But this was not a, a simply a humble statement. Oh, I'm just, I'm, I'm, just, uh, I'm, just a, I'm just the Son of Man. This was actually a designation of he's referring himself to Daniel's vision. What he's saying, what the Jews would understand, Christ declaring, I am the Lord, I am God incarnate, I came from heaven, I am the judge. Okay, point number one, understanding this title, the Son of Man. Point number two, man is saved through Christ and Satan is judged. You can go to John 16, we're going to look at John 16 verse 7. Jesus says, verse 7 to 11, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, comforter, advocate, intercessor, counselor, strengthener, standby, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him, the Holy Spirit, to you, to be in close fellowship with you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world about the guilt of sin the need for a savior and about righteousness and about judgment. About sin, the true nature of it, because they do not believe in me and my message. About righteousness, personal integrity, godly character, because I am going to my Father and you will no longer see me. About judgment and the certainty of it, because the ruler of this world, Satan, has been judged and condemned. Remember the first gospel. It's called the Proto-Evangelum. It's the presentation of the first gospel. He will crush thy head and he shall bruise thy heel. What's, what's being said? Judgment rendered through the death of the Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. And through that judgment, Satan is condemned. He is crushed, judged, and condemned. That is stripped of power and dominion. See, in John 16, 7, he's declaring, I'm coming into the world. And I'm going to convict the world. Righteousness, sin, judgment. But in John 3, 17, he says, I didn't come to judge the world. I came to save it. Another instance, he, um, he says, I came the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. In other words, he's coming, the Son of Man, the judge, the supreme judge, but he's not judging man. He's actually come to sacrifice and serve and give his life so that man could be saved. But he's judging Satan, the ruler of the age. Because of this judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged and condemned. In other words, I'm here to set you free and judge that which has been overpowering and destroying you. I'm here to judge that. I'm here to destroy everything that's been destroying you. He didn't come to judge you. He came to judge the accuser of the brethren. He came to judge the one that was withstanding the horn, the one withstanding the people, the saints. Okay, so Daniel 7:12. what do we see? Power taken away, but an extension of life given. You see, when judgment was rendered, John 16, verse 11, Satan, the rule of this world, has been judged. When that happened, death, resurrection, ascension, 
glorification. Satan's dominion and power was stripped from him, taken from him, but he was left on the earth. Why was he left? To be ruled over by you, subdued, taken, take dominion. Okay, number, number three. So number one, understand son of man. Number two, man is saved, Satan is judged. And number three, Christ is our judge and our advocate. Okay, so um, if you want, you can turn your, uh, to Acts 7. And this is just, uh, we've looked at this before, but this is just one of the most beautiful passages in the Bible, one of, one of them. Um, and it's where we read the narrative of the death of the first Christian martyr, Stephen. So in, in Acts chapter 6, Stephen is arrested for preaching Christ. Acts 15, it tells us that all that sat in the council, and this is just a beautiful account, it says that all as he was preaching, all that sat in the council looking steadfastly at him saw his face as of the face of an angel. Stephen is preaching and he's just glowing. Nevertheless, they arrest him. But the arrest doesn't stop Stephen. He's now before the Jewish authorities. He's before the Sanhedrin, the highest Jewish court in Israel. And his beautiful sermon, you can read it in Acts 7, it is a beautiful sermon that's illustrating a beautiful account of the chronicles of history, the story of God and his Israel leading up to Christ. But the audience, as he's preaching, the audience is so provoked and, and filled with anger that the Bible tells us in Acts 7 that their hatred becomes so intense and vehement that they were gnashing their teeth, picking up stones to kill him. And they sentence him to death on the spot for heresy. So we're going to pick up in Acts 7, verse 54. Now when they heard this accusation, understood its implication they were cut to the heart and they began grinding their teeth in rage at him but he being full of the holy spirit and led by him he gazed into heaven and he saw the glory the great splendor majesty of god and jesus standing at the right hand of god and he said look look i see the heavens opened opened up and the son of man standing at the right hand of god but they shouted with loud voices and they covered their ears and together rushed at him. Then they drove him out of the city and began stoning him. The witnesses placed their outer robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. <laughs> they continued stoning Stephen and he's, as he called upon the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive and accept and welcome my spirit. Then falling on his knees in worship, he cried loudly, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Do not charge them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep in death. This is just one of the most beautiful passages, I, I think, in the Bible. The account of Stephen, just like Christ, as he's being killed, as he's being murdered, whispering forgiveness on his persecutors. But you can imagine as these heavy, sharp stones begin to bounce off of his head, his chest, his face, Stephen, he, he looks to the skies and he sees the heavens open. And he says, look, I see heavens open. And what does he see? The Son of Man. And he sees the Son of Man. And what is he doing? The Son of Man stands up, standing at the right hand of God. Every time Jesus talks about the Son of Man, again, you, if you go and do a word study, you'll see he's using this term as, as a term designating his authority as judge. And all throughout the word, what we see happening is when Jesus ascended, he was glorified and he's sitting. He's sitting at the right hand of God. Right? He's seated. So the Apostles' Creed, it, it tells us that he, suffers under, he suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, and was buried, ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. So what is at the right hand of God? We see Jesus, he, we see the Christ, and he's, what, what is he doing? He's sitting, he's in his seat, the seat of judgment. 
What does Paul say? He says, every man shall appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Okay, but what do we see in Acts 7? He looks up into heaven and Jesus stands up. And while the Jew Jewish court is seated in judgment against Stephen, viciously stoning him, the heavens open. Stephen looks up and he sees the son of, the son of man stand up. That in Acts 7, this is an illustration of the gospel of Jesus. And this is the revelation, is that Christ, our judge, is also our advocate. Is that as Stephen sees Christ in the judgment seat, he is also standing up on his behalf. So you step into the courtroom. They ask you, what's your name? The charges are read against you, and you're guilty. And you look at the judge, knowing that you're guilty. And suddenly, the judge stands up, gets out of his seat, and he says, I am your defense counsel. I am your advocate. I'm your defense attorney. And Daniel, in Revelation, out of Jesus' own mouth, the Son of Man is, is Jesus' role as judge. But our judge is also our advocate. He's also the one that stands up, and he takes our very place. That's the gospel. Our judge, through his death, through his resurrection, becomes our advocate. He becomes our divine advocate in the court of heaven. What's the result? Satan is condemned. You're set free. You're released. Satan is condemned but left to be ruled over. The Son of Man has appeared before God the Father. Judgment has been passed in favor of the saints of the Most High. The judge has become our advocate. And Satan is condemned and left to be ruled over. I had the same notes, just uh, copied and pasted twice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So, glory, dominion, and kingdom. We see these two things. Satan, uh, the Ancient of Days, passes judgment in favor of the saints. When that happens, we know that the saints take possession of the kingdom. So, where is the kingdom? If, if judgment is rendered, then where's the kingdom? Okay, so we're going we're gonna, to um, go through this series of scriptures here. And you can just write these down. Matthew 4.17 From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Everyone say, the kingdom. Matthew 24.14 This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Mark 12, 30, Mark 12, 34. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to them, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Luke 4, 43. He said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities because for this purpose I have been sent. Isaiah 9, 2. He sent them, sorry, Luke 9, 2. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Luke 10, 9. And heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Luke 12, 31. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Luke 17, 20, and 21. Some of, the fairies asked some of the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? Jesus answered, God's kingdom is coming, but not in a way that you will be able to see it with your eyes. People will not say, look, here it is or there it is, because God's kingdom is within you. John 3, John 3, verse 3 and 5. Jesus answered and said to them, most assuredly I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 5, I, uh, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Acts 1-3, <clears throat> to whom also he presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Acts 8-12, when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, 
Both men and women were baptized. Colossians 1.13, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Hebrews 12.28, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. With all of these verses, I'd like to propose to you that we are living in the age of possessing the kingdom of God. In Daniel 7, um, 7, verse 21 and 22, the horn was waging war against the saints and overpowering them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was passed in favor of the saints to possess the kingdom. When did the Ancient of Days take his seat? and pass judgment in favor of the saints to possess the kingdom. Colossians 2, verse 14. Having canceled the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, when he disarmed the rulers and authorities, making a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Revelation 1, 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead. He placed his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. Now look, I am alive forever, and I hold the keys of death and hell. The ancient of days has passed judgment. And so in Daniel 7, 22, he takes his seat. Judgment is passed, and decrees were made. Colossians 2, 14. He cancels the certificate of death consisting of the decrees against us. Decrees were made in favor, in favor of the saints, the Most High, and the time arrived for the saints to take possession of the kingdom. When you were born again, you were born into a kingdom. And then in Matthew 10, 7, Jesus says, preach the kingdom wherever you go. And not only this, but he says, we read this, it was, it's your, don't be afraid, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Luke 12, 31, seek first the kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. So we see 164 times this term kingdom is used in the New Testament alone. The kingdom of God is within us. It's already here. The kingdom has come. We're not saying that there's not a second coming, but we are saying we're declaring that his kingdom has come. And the kingdom has come and you've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness. You're, you are currently living, if you are in Christ, you're living in the kingdom of his beloved son. Colossians 1.13. You are currently seated in heavenly places in Christ. Ephesians 1.20. He's put everything under your feet as we've been put under the headship of Christ. Ephesians 1.22 uh, and 2.6. So the ramifications of all this. Daniel 7.27. Sovereignty, dominion, greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven, given to the saints of the highest one. Romans 8, verse 14. As many that are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. If children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not, worth to be, are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of crea creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, Willingly, but because of him that subjected it in hope, because the creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs until now. All of creation is groaning. The ground beneath us, the trees, the skies, the birds, the rivers, they're groaning. Because Jesus declared in Mark 16, 15, to preach the gospel to all creation. You're not, 
It's not just you and me that need the gospel. The creation must be redeemed from the curse that it was brought under. And so creation is groaning for the revealing of the sons of God. In other words, creation itself underneath the curse is groaning and waiting to be brought into liberty through the revelation that the saints of the Most High receive, that we are possessing the kingdom. The gospel has come, and now we're preaching it. Liberty. Liberty to the captives and liberty to creation itself to now uh, reveal, fully reveal and be redeemed to magnify the beauty and the glory of God. In Romans, we know that it tells us that creation, the, uh, the visible attributes of creation demonstrate the invisible attributes of God. And so when creation is fully redeemed, it's fully displaying God's manifold beauty and wisdom and it's being brought back into its right purpose and that is always to to magnify the father to magnify the creator and to serve to serve him and to serve his people and so creation itself comes underneath our dominion as you and I are liberated as you and I manifest our nature as sons and daughters we liberate the world we liberate creation and it's groaning and it's waiting for you to know who you are because it was subjected, not, it subjected to futility. And this Greek word for futility, mateotis, its meaning is instability or purposelessness. And so we're called to bring back its purpose. To, in its purposelessness, purposelessness, we're called to bring back its purpose. That is, to, to reveal the glory of God. His glory, His love, grace, His mercy, his power, his goodness. In Romans 8.21, under, bond, under bondage is liberated and brought into freedom in the glory of the children of God. So Genesis 1, God, he gives us the dominion mandate. And then in Daniel 7.14, he sees dominion, glory, and a kingdom given to the saints of the Most High. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You were born again so that you could come into this, transferred from the darkness into the kingdom of his son, received every spiritual blessing. You are the children of God. You are no longer under the spirit of fear, driving you again to slavery, but have been released as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Now you are heirs of God, fellow heirs of Christ Jesus. Go make a withdrawal on your account. That's the revelation. We're not waiting for the kingdom to come. His kingdom will not be here or there. His king, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is within you. When, um, I'm going to uh, close with this verse here. In Hebrews, Hebrews 2, verse 5, it says, for he, for he has not put the whole world to come, of which we speak, in subjection to angels. But one testified in a certain place, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him? What is the son of man that you should take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor, and you have set him over the work of your hands. Verse 8, you have put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he, in that he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him. Your identity our salvation, this is not something that we work to receive. It's something that's a free gift by grace through faith. And as we receive that revelation of Ephesians 3, for by grace you have been saved, and this is not of your own doing, lest any man should boast. In the next verse it says, for you were created in Christ Jesus for good works. This revelation of the kingdom and of the judgment rendered on behalf of the saints of the Most High, this revelation is a gift that we receive freely given and it's it's something that god is wanting to uh give us wisdom and uh, supernatural revelation to receive the gift of salvation it doesn't come from you it comes from him true humility is not thinking less of yourself it's rather receiving this truth it's receiving the truth about what god said who god says you are receiving the truth about who he says you are, what he says about you, and then walking in it. 
In Ephesians 4, it says, let us walk in a manner worthy of the calling of Christ Jesus. Walking in that and making use of the life and the salvation and the inheritance, the dominion and the glory that he's given you, all for his glory. And in John 17, 22, it says, the glory that was given to me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. Speaking of the Father and Jesus. Glory, dominion, and a kingdom. And so, Lord, I just pray, even now, Father, that you would release the spirit of wisdom and revelation of the glory that you've bestowed upon us, that we would become one with each other, even as the Father and Jesus are one. So if you will, just stand up. So, Lord, I ask you for a true humility to be released in this room. And that true humility is this. This identity and this revelation is a gift from God. Receive it. It's not something that makes us arrogant. It's something that causes us to be baffled, standing in awe and wonder, our mouths wide open, that at this very moment, we're standing on holy ground. Our mouths open in wonder that he calls us children. Brandon Manning says, we're all beggars at the door of God's mercy. Every man, every woman. And so, Lord, we receive the kingdom. We receive, your, we receive what you've purchased. And I ask even now that you would release, you would release upon us wisdom, revelation to capture the royalty, the identity, and the glory, and the dominion, and the kingdom that we've inherited through the Son of Man as judgment has been rendered in the heavenly places because now it's time for the saints to possess the kingdom of God. Lord, I thank you for the until. Bobby Connor has this, uh, this in the shepherd's rod. This entire year, he named, the Lord gave him a revelation. This is the year of the until. Until judgment was rendered in favor of the saints to possess the kingdom. Lord, I thank you that you would release on your body the revelation. It would release on your body the revelation of the until moment that has come. The until moment that has come as the Son of Man seated in heavenly places, the judge stands up in our defense. Lord, we stand in awe. We worship you. We glorify you. Yeah, just thank him. Thank him for salvation. Thank you for the gift. Thank you for the glory that he's bestowed upon his children. Thank you, Lord. Lord, thank you, Father. We just thank you. Just worship him. Just in thanksgiving and praise. I thank you, uh, Michaela prayed this earlier, for faith. That what this would do to us is impart within us faith. revelation that he's been defeated his power has been stripped from him he has nothing against you he was overpowering you until we've crossed over we're taking the land we're moving into Canaan we're occupying until he comes and so some of you need to be reminded this morning Satan has been disarmed and Jesus Christ has made a public spectacle of him his power has been stripped 
And so, Lord, I pray, even now, remind us and give us the revelation. We are more than conquerors. We say, body of Christ, rise up. Not on my watch. And that as the, the church begins to see the revelation of Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of God, standing in judgment past, that we would begin to take possession. Not consumed with the rapture, not consumed with the second coming, but consumed with taking your first coming and letting the rest of the world know about it. The church is waiting for a second coming, but the world doesn't even know about his first. <laughs> and so, Lord, we pray that we would do something with your first coming before, before obsessing over the second one. Because, and, and Lord, we do wait. We do long. We're homesick. We're sojourners. But, Lord, we want to make use. And we say, take and occupy the land. Lord, take Macon. Lord, raise up godly leaders. Lord, that this, that this revelation moves us to intercession. That, Lord, we, we, before we even go into all the world, we begin to pray into all the world. We begin to say, Lord, let the nations know that you are God, that you alone are God. And we just pray, as David prays, that all the nations would come and bow and worship before you. Father, we're asking, Father, for America. We're praying for mercy. We're praying, God, have mercy on our nation. Have mercy on our land. Heal the land. Heal the rivers. Heal the waters. Heal the, the crops. And I would just declare that truth would spring up from the earth. That righteousness, Lord, and justice would flow like a never-failing stream. I just want you just to begin to pray and intercede. Lord, we're praying a release. A release like rivers and waves of your glory to come. And the knowledge of the glory of the Lord to fill this city. Fill this city. Lord, strengthen the church of this city. Cause them to, to rise up with strength and might in the inner man, Father. We're praying for a citywide church to rise up. We're praying for an apostolic church to rise up. We're praying for the spirit of Elijah to come forth. We're praying for an Elijah revolution to take back, to take back, Father, to, to throw out Jezebel. We're praying for the Jehu anointing, the apostolic anointing, to throw Jezebel out of the window. Father, we're asking, Father, for victory, for victory for righteousness, that the name of Jesus would be glorified, that the name of Jesus would be magnified from the highest court in this land, from the lowest place to the highest place. Lord, we're praying that we thank you that in Isaiah it says that the mountain, the kingdom will be the greatest mountain, that it would fill the earth, that the kingdom would be the greatest mountain. Lord, we're praying that Isaiah 9-2, we're praying that your kingdom would become the greatest mountain, Father, that the kingdom would triumph. Lord, we're praying, release your people. Send your people forth. Apostolic church, sent ones. Sent ones. So, Lord, endue us with power from on high. Make us one with your people. Lord, we're praying for supernatural outpouring, unity. Come on, I'm asking you to pray with me. Release your, release your intercession. Release your groan before the Lord. God, we're asking you, Father, would, Father of glory, pour out your glory. Pour out your glory in the city, God. All for your glory. King of glory, come. King of glory, come. Open up the gates. Open up the gates. Lord, we're thanking you, Father. As you rose in victory, Lord, we're declaring that we enforce your victory. We're saying that those that are oppressed and in captivity would be set free. Those that are in chains, God, would be set free. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to preach liberty to the captives, to bind up the oppressed. Lord, we're asking you for, let it flow like a never-failing stream, God. Like a never-failing stream. Lord, have mercy on Macon. Have mercy on Mercer. Father, turn, turn the fathers to the children. Turn the children to the fathers. God, bring, heal the family in our city. God, we, we ask you that you would bind out the spirit of hatred and violence in Macon. And Lord, that you would release the, the blood of Jesus, which speaks a better word than the blood of brotherly hostility. Father, we're asking you, blood of Jesus, we plead you over our city. Oh, we plead you. Bring reconciliation, God. Bring reconciliation, God. Come on, keep praying just for a couple more minutes.
This might be one of the most important sermons we've ever heard. I could barely sit still in my seat. I, I can't even fathom Jesus. This is what I saw in the spirit. I saw all of us in prison cells and Jesus came and he opened every door for us. So not only did he set us free, but then the next thing he did was he handed us the keys and he said, now come and open the doors of other people and come with me as we set other people free. That's the kingdom. That's what we have. That's the authority we have. We get to do that. We get to do that with him. It's so exciting. And so I just, um, I also saw that um, some people were just standing in their cells and God said, you're no longer a prisoner. Get out of your cell and come be part of the kingdom. And the other thing that I saw was um, every single person in this room has something against them or something they're facing. And um, I, I thought of the scripture that said, um, the enemy goes around um, like a lion seeking whom he may devour. And when I looked at the enemy and I saw a lion, I looked and he had no teeth. And so, <laughs> so he's worrying at some of you to intimidate you at his size but he has no bite because you have authority over him. That's what the intel is. It's amazing. I can't believe you guys are like shouting. Thank you, Jesus. So what I want to do now is I want to pray for you. And I say to you, church, arise and come out of your prison cells. The door is open. I decree and declare you walk out and you take the keys of the kingdom that Jesus is handing you right now in Jesus' name. And I speak to your circumstances and all the lying threats that the enemy is bringing against you to roar and lie and steal, kill and destroy. And we say to you and decree and declare to your circumstances, no more. In Jesus' name, no more. Walk right past that devil. He is a liar and he has no bite. Oh, death, where is your sting? Amen. Come on. Yeah, as she was praying, I just see this oil God has wanted to just release. And he's just saying, you're equipped, and I'm sending you back into that place of authority that you carry, your sphere, the place of influence that you have, and I'm sending you with fresh oil. And so just receive that this morning, is that the Lord is saying, I want to release my wisdom, my revelation, my spirit with you as you go to release and declare and, and reveal my beauty, my manifold wisdom, the manifold wisdom of God being displayed by the church. And so, Lord, I pray right now of fresh oil that your people, we've been, in some ways, we've been overpowered, we've been intimidated, we've been withstood, but, Lord, we're declaring until the kingdom of heaven, until judgment. So we're saying, Satan, the Lord rebuke you. You've been judged. You've been stripped. Christ is sitting at the right hand of the Father. Yeah, so we just receive that fresh oil. Bless your people. And I just pray the joy of the Lord to be your strength. The anointing of the oil of gladness just to come in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father, for the anointing of the oil of gladness on every single heart, Lord. Thank you that uh, you are anointed with the oil of gladness far more than your companions. And so, Lord, I pray the anointing to flow in Jesus' name. If I could just have our ministry team come up. Thank you, Father.